0: Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 397.5, recorded on Sunday, the 2nd of October. I'm Moss. At least I'm not in Florida.
1: I'm Joe. Hey, everybody, it's Bill.
0: In our innards section, we talk about how Linux has permeated everything, and finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. <music> Linux innards. Today's topic is niche Linux. Today's innards are about all about places where Linux works better than anything else. This was easy to know. I think most people know these things, but getting the information together in a good format turned out to be difficult, mostly done by Joe. I also think that even though people know these things, the topic is still interesting and fun to talk about. Most of the topics included here are going to point to the one thing that really makes Linux useful, and that is its scalability. Plus, there are sections of topics that we find interesting. Joe, take it away.
2: Well, I'm going to start off talking about uh, supercomputers and cluster computers. Um, Linux runs on all the top 500 supercomputers. Formerly the king of supercomputer OSs was Unix, but the open source nature and scalability of Linux has led to it taking over and dominating that entire market. Uh, many of your early supercomputers ran completely custom Unix OSs. This greatly added to the cost of supercomputing systems in that each OS was unique and designed specifically for a specific set of hardware. You can see where this would add to the overall cost to the point where the software development cost as much as the hardware and none of it was really reusable. So as things grew, you couldn't just Take the code from the old system and move it onto a new system. This led to the trend for supercomputers to run Linux, as developers found using general purpose code to save time and money without having to constantly reinvent the wheel. Linux can be scaled and customized with none of the proprietary tax built in, and because of its nature, can be reused over and over again. <clears throat> You kind of design the hardware specifically for instruction sets, and you make it compatible. Everybody can use Linux that way. Uh, One thing that you see now amongst many of the supercomputers is multiple lightweight operating systems that can work in conjunction with each other across various nodes, which sounds a lot like uh, cluster computing, and there is a lot of overlap. But this is nodes within the same system that we're talking about at this time. Um, many of your supercomputer systems have a series of nodes that process independently and then send the output to be put together afterwards. This is controlled by a master scheduler and a series of slave schedulers, which then act as task schedulers and will monitor progress of currently running jobs. Many of your modern supercomputers manage this with Slurm Workload Manager and that's Simple Linux Utility for Resource Management, and it's used by 60% of the top 500 supercomputers. Um, This leads really well into computer clustering. Heck, some of your more famous supercomputers are clusters of other computers put together, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, From Wikipedia, a computer cluster is a set of computers that work together so that they can be viewed as a single system. Clusters are usually a series of the same system over and over again that are networked together in close proximity. This allows the sharing of loads and redundancy while being much more cost effective and scalable than a single supercomputer. Now, these computers can be anything in the cluster from Raspberry Pi's to PlayStations to even desktop computers. Um, One of the more famous clusters has to be the Condor cluster created by the Air Force, which had more than um, 1,700 PS3s, which was used to process image data from surveillance drones. This, while being a computer cluster, was also the 35th fastest computer of its time and for a fraction of the cost of a supercomputer. Each of these machines was running a custom version of, you guessed it, linux multiple different versions of linux would run on the early versions of the ps3 now later on sony did come in and make it so that you could no longer load up your own operating system onto um, the playstation through an update but your older firmwares could load and still can load um, the Linux operating system. They also actually did this with the PS2 as well, and there were a couple of clusters of that. Now, by the time you got to the PS4, you could no longer do that because um, the symptoms are, systems were greatly... That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, Dumped down, essentially, to make it so that um, they just played games and not really had that extra processing power. So they fell out of interest in that way now beowulf clusters are usually a series of personal computers that are networked together and uh, i don't want to get too far into that because uh we we could really do a whole nother episode um a whole nother show about it if we wanted and i already feel like i'm kind of whinging on a bit on when it comes to the supercomputer topic um This uh, gets into other connected topics that we could add, such as grid computing or data clustering, but I do want to mention that if you want to try out clustering yourself and if the price ever comes back down, it is very possible to build a cluster of your own using Raspberry Pi's and yeah you're kind of limited on what software will run on them but it still is an interesting project if you have the extra money to spend now i'm not going to say it's cheap because right now pies are like 80 bucks each i mean looking at the used market even 3bs are selling for like 80 bucks each so um it's but there are plenty of tutorials online for you to go and look at and pick up how to do it. Um, I have seen boards that are specifically made to cluster the Raspberry Pi zeros, the 0Ws, zero et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you want to try out something like that, perfect way to do it. There, Like I said, there are many projects out there for that purpose, but they are limited by the software that they can run. And from my readings, it seems like it would be a very involved project to get started um but that leads pretty well into the next portion of where linux shines the brightest and, and and that's um SBC, mini pc and systems on a chip now for this section i didn't really do as much research as i should have i mean Um, Like we said before, one of the things that would be a common theme for this sentence was going to be scalability. Now, this fits really well into the large computing spaces uh, when you link things together, but it also lends itself to the smaller scale, that scalability of bringing it down into a a smaller section. And now from single board computers to mini PCs and systems on a chip, Linux kind of dominates that market as well. And IoT would not be a thing without Linux.
1: and the whole thing just kind of falls over, you know. So that's that's another advantage that we have is you can literally strip down Linux. I mean, you can literally strip components out of the kernel itself as you're compiling just to have the absolute bare minimum things that you need, and you still have a working system, which makes it an ob- obvious choice for these yep. SBCs.
2: Now, I- IoT is at present one of the more interesting platforms for Linux innovation, given its low cost and diminished Operating carbon footprint, many ARM devices can perform comparable tasks while utilizing a fraction of that power consumption. Uh, A lot of your mini PCs are just like the larger computers, so many of them do run Windows, but a lot of them, you know, out of the box will run Linux. Um... Now, when it comes to single board computers, nearly all of them run Linux of one kind or another, but some of them will also run other operating systems out of the box. But when you think about SBC, things like the Raspberry Pi and the Bagelbone come to mind, and uh, will generally do better as Linux devices since, like Bill said, the kernel can be pared down to the bare minimum and the operating system can be optimized for that specific device. Um, Same with mini PCs. They are more useful for longer as Linux devices. Uh, Windows, over time, it grows bigger. It uh, takes up more space. It just will run slower on older systems. Linux, because it can be pared down, because you can only add in the things that you need to use, it's going to work better on those older, small systems. Now, when it comes to systems on a chip, look at things like uh, cell phones. All of your Android phones use that Linux kernel um i would like to see more you know actual like linux phones but i i understand that that's not going to happen anytime soon because there isn't enough development to make it you know usable as a daily driver now um from what i've been able to find according to the open mobile alliance 72% of IoT devices use some form of embedded Linux. And you do get some BSD, which is also open source, tossed in there. And um, Amazon's free Ertos, which um, is also somewhat common. It's also open source. And um, Linux still reigns supreme with its scalability and security in the IoT space. There is a lot of developers that develop for Linux, and this makes for a lot of code and a lot of people with eyes on glass to see where those vulnerabilities are and get them closed. That's one of the things that makes IoT much more secure than it would be otherwise in using Linux, as long as the companies that are making these IoT devices are actually you know, providing updates and then i'm i was going to let uh bill talk about
1: the server servers space. yeah servers this might not be the most interesting part of the linux story but it is the part that is probably what is going to keep us alive over the long haul because um when it comes to servers, uh, Linux just dominates. Uh, according to WebTribunal.net, ninety-six point three percent of the world's top one million servers run Linux, as well as ninety percent of the world's cloud infrastructure. And the re- reasons for that are somewhat obvious when you think when you think about it. Linux makes more sense in the server space due to it, the relative simplicity, as well as lower operating co- costs. Corporation Corporations can set up web servers, file share servers, and the like using open source software and take advantage of community-maintained software. For better or worse, Linux is likely the popular choice due to its decreased cost. It's because of this, cloud computing is as lucrative as it is because oftentimes the operating system employed by the BPSs are FOSS. Therefore, the only operating cost is from hardware and infrastructure. It's very likely that your business has a website. If your business has a website, it is being hosted on a VPS hyperscaler like Amazon Web Service, uh, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud Platform. These services maximize profits by leaning on leaning their infrastructure on Linux and open source yeah. software.
2: I'm going to jump in right there again. Um, Sorry if you cover this a little bit later, but uh, it it does need to be mentioned. Uh, Once again, it's the exact same thing. There are developers that are out there making this happen with Linux. and, And every day they're improving it. And those improvements are available to these companies for a minimal cost. Now, I have watched over years of working in the industry as people moved away from Windows and moved away from well, even Linux-like or Unix-like systems and move into just using raw Linux, moved away from AIX, uh, moved away from Solaris, moved into just using Linux and moved away from Windows Server. Thank God. But um, yeah, and just using Linux. And so, yes, companies are making massive amounts of money and it's all on the back of Linux.
1: Uh, and many of the huge cloud service providers are in fact huge open source contributors in terms of code and other support. Uh, A Linux on the server just makes more sense because of the versatility of the system. You have many more choices as to the components used to make a server work. Uh, A WordPress web server, for example, like what we use for... Mintcast.org is comprised of three main types of software, which is supplemental to the operating system, meaning these are things that have to be installed after the operating system is installed. You have to have a web server such as Apache or NGINX to run the necessary web host. You have to have a database server such as MySQL, MariaDB, MongoDB, PostgresSQL, InfluxDB, depending on... The type of data and the way it needs to be aggregated and then served uh, to the applications. Each one of these servers works better for one thing than another. Um, And then you need a scripting language such as PHP, which is used to execute the tasks. For example, you uh, Nextcloud uses PHP a lot to run. Uh, run the executables to show the content on the screen or to run the uh, document servers, you know, there's code being executed, just like any other application that you would have installed on your system. The varieties and combinations of these bits of software can be elegantly packaged together to create the tailored web experience that is essential for whatever unique tasks a business needs tools for. A business selling T-shirts, for example, online would have very different needs from one that catalogs technical documentations and needs to provide a way to make that information available to potential customers. The right combination of the different components can optimize the user experience and make for a more cohesive commercial offering. Uh, Oftentimes, a server will need to be set up on, let's say, a cloud server to convey Temporary information about an event. Now, here's something important about the cost aspect, um, or something like that, which will not need to have an operating website after the conclusion of the event. Like if you got if you got a, a event going on for a week or something, and then once it's over with, there's no there's no point in having the website up uh, advertising the event. Um, This is another use case where Linux makes more sense because a web server can be spun up. The website built, used for the appropriate amount of time, and then shut down. Uh, Many cloud providers only charge based on total time a server is up, making Linux the obvious choice, uh, given it can be set up and shut down with no additional cost, Uh, there's no license fee for the operating system so there's no disadvantage just scrapping the system after it's no longer needed and you've got a lot of that going on you've got a lot of um, servers being set up to run a specific task or a core device being set up to run a specific task and then scrapped sometimes within a day and you Imagine doing that with Windows where you've got to get a license every time you do things like this.
0: That's basically where Linode makes all their money.
1: Exactly, yeah, because you can, with Linode, you can set it up, run it, and you're basically just going to be charged based on the amount of time servers are up, and then that's all kind of all added up, you know, and then associated to your account, and then you're charged for that, and that's, I mean, I can't think of a better way to... uh make money on that uh so yeah i run several servers right here within two feet of me right now um i've got an ubuntu server 2204 running a few things this machine right here it's got the stickers on it um much of it is on docker uh it's running a few things including a jellyfin server that's running in a docker container which is a media server, not unlike Plex. Uh, Plex has got a little bit more functionality, but it's got a nice Netflix style. I'd say that's, that's what people usually say, right? Netflix style interface for all of my locally installed media. I have this server internet facing so that I can share my media collection with friends. Moss, for example, sometimes connects to my jellyfin to watch some of the stuff I've got on there. Uh, this machine also has an nginx reverse proxy manager running in a docker container which is important because in order to have that jellyfin server um internet facing and have other stuff internet facing because i've also got the uh nextcloud machine over here running i've only got one ip address Coming into the house, so once it gets into the house, a reverse proxy is the thing that does the job of saying, "Okay, this this traffic needs to go to this server. This traffic needs to go to this server," and that way I can resolve several. If it, 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 the limit is just basically in the uh, functionality of the machines themselves. Um, well, there goes Joe. Um, when you run uh, when you run a Nginx reverse proxy manager, it handles the it handles the um, SSL stuff for you in in terms of the uh, necessary certificates. So I don't have to worry about the certificates for the traffic coming into the uh, into the website. I do have to still handle some SSL between the, like Nextcloud, for example, needs its own layer of SSL between uh, that server and the uh, reverse proxy. So I actually, the, it's probably not the best way to handle it, but what I usually do is I just forward the port temporarily to that machine, run certbot, get a certificate, and then forward the port back to the re- reverse proxy it's just the easiest way to deal with that the proper way would be to set up a certificate authority on the reverse proxy and then uh put like a put that certificate into the next cloud and then make it like a 5 year certificate or something but with my method um all i have to do is get on there once every couple of months and renew the certificate and i'm golden um that's also that that also needs a maria d. b. database, which itself is a docker container um The only thing that does is provide the minimum sort of database that that reverse proxy needs um, but this machine uh it runs those things and that's usually. It's a pretty beefy machine. It could probably do a lot more, but I, I'm really not pushing it beyond that. Um, except, uh, it is running the WireGuard connection that I use when I'm tunneling back into the home network. Uh, so when I'm when I when I'm on the road, which is quite a bit, and I need to access to the home system, that is the that is the way I do it, and it works gloriously uh this is this is useful when i need to solve problems on the network or if i need to do some kind of update or i need to do a reboot or or whatever i can i can solve problems easily no matter where i'm at now um the machine that i was talking about that uh, moss helped me order and, and get set up to some degree uh that's running ubuntu server 2204 and that's running our mint cloud ne- mint Cast next cloud server which we may switch to for our documentation in the future uh, mint, cloud but- mint cloud Nextcast. mint cloud next cast yeah uh, this server configuration includes Apache for the web server MariaDB for the database and PHP for the scripting language that is all those are all the, the things that are the default Method of installing NextCloud. I got a uh, tutorial from uh, learnlinux.tv. He's got an excellent blog post that just walks you through the whole process of setting. I could have done the snap install NextCloud route, but then you got to do a little. It feels really hacky when you want to use a separate device for the data directory, so I just built it. From the ground up myself, that way I know where everything is and how to how to fix problems. Um, but that's uh, that's running fantastically too. Now, the only thing, the other, the only other thing I'm running right now is a Raspberry Pi three B plus, and that's running Raspberry Pi OS. And the only job it's got is the Pi Hole DNS sinkhole, which provides network level ad and tracker blocking to whatever devices are connected to it as a DNS server. Uh, Users that are connected to it can surf the web and perform tasks with the added advantage of websites clean from ads and other tracking software that utilize DNS for their metrics. When I connect to my home network, and here's another cool thing, if I connect to my home network with that WireGuard connection that I was talking about earlier, Uh, even when I'm on my laptop or my phone, um, I have the added benefit of that ad blocking running remotely so I can surf the web without, uh, without worrying about ads. And it can, when you're on the road, it's kind of nice because you're, you're charged. Well, you're not really charged. Verizon gives me like 10 gigabytes of, uh, uh, tethering because that's how i usually do it i tether my laptop to my phone and you know the the ads are probably not a heck of a lot but every little bit helps you know to make that uh stretch out a little bit more but yeah that when it comes to the servers you know it, like i said it's probably the not the most interesting thing that Linux is used for, but it is the thing that is going to, in my opinion, keep us relevant to the degree that we, you you will have the expectation of seeing Linux available for normal people on normal machines for the foreseeable future. So I think, and that's why I really kind of paid a lot of attention to it, because in my opinion, it's, it's a very important, uh, task that, um, linux fulfills but that being said the most important thing or well the most interesting thing i think is what moss is going to talk about so take it away
0: in space
1: yay (laughs) my schwartz is bigger than yours
0: (laughs) On July 30th, 2020, NASA launched the Mars 2020 spacecraft, an Atlas V-541 rocket carrying the Perseverance rover, nicknamed Percy. It was sent to Mars to look for and collect signs of past microbial life, cache rock and soil samples, and perhaps pave the way for future human exploration on the Red Planet. Included with the land-based rover is the Ingenuity, nicknamed Ginny, a small robotic helicopter designed by JPL. To date, this impressive aircraft has conducted 33 flights. The planet's atmospheric density is about 1 one-hundredth that of Earth's at sea level, or about the same as at 87,000 feet, or 27,000 meters, an altitude never reached by existing helicopters. And there is about 2.66 times less gravity, Further, the current flights are being made in the middle of the Martian winter, where JPL engineers were amazed to learn there was just enough sun to repower the solar batteries to continue conducting missions. One flight already this week and four more scheduled for this month. Temperatures on Mars during winter get down to minus 220 degrees Fahrenheit, or minus 140 Celsius, and the equipment is still working. The reason we mention it here is because this impressive little aircraft is powered entirely by Linux. The craft operates on a Snapdragon 801 processor boasting a 2.2 gigahertz clock, which is in fact more powerful than the processors on Percy. The ingenuity has proven an enormous success given it was only originally intended to perform about five flights with altitudes ranging from three to five meters for up to 90 seconds each. The maximum altitude is 12 meters. On the helicopter's 25th flight, it made a record-breaking 2,310 feet, 712 meters, which is now considered its maximum range. They didn't think it could go that far before that. At a maximum of 10 meters per second, 22 miles per hour. To accomplish this, the rotors have to rotate at 2,400 to 2,700 RPM, which is 10 times faster than they would have to rotate on Earth. This is all quite impressive given all the flight instructor's instructions have to be scripted giving the distance between Earth and Mars and the time it takes for radio signals to reach the craft. For more information on Ingenuity, see the link in the show notes. Some interesting highlights of other NASA-slash-JPL projects. Many of the CubeSat missions used Linux and their flight controllers, including the Alto-1. TACSAT-1, a microsatellite, used Linux in a couple of its computer systems. A couple of satellites have used Android phones as onboard computers, such as the Strand-1. The Lightsail-1, another CubeSat that used Tyvac and Tripit V6SBC that used Linux. And SpaceX heavily uses Linux in all of their flights to resupply the space station in order to tap the huge developer community for the environment and for the ability to use off-the-shelf parts. They use Linux in the primary flight computers for the Dragon spacecraft and several of their other vehicles.
1: I'm not sure it's completely fair for we in the Linux space to take all the credit for this. Oh but yeah, we. I'm can. gonna I'm gonna do it anyway, because <laughs> yeah. this is probably I mean when they announced this and then yeah, it, anybody that listens to this show probably listens to uh, uh, the the Jupiter broadcasting shows as well and they actually had some JPL people well one guy from JPL on the show at some point when this whole thing first broke and it was just fantastic. Uh, yeah, they're tickled me.
0: pink to talk about the limits oh, yeah. of
1: the project. And in fact, I think this week they are at JPL. So I'll yes. be eagerly anticipating their their shows, talking to the people there. But yeah, I mean it's fantastic, right? Obviously, I think in the past they would have used something like Solaris or uh, something along that lines, and it you know I guess that's just not what it used to be, and they had to do work to make Linux a good option for this to to work well. But the fact is that they were able to use Linux and make it work for the the payloads, the workloads that they had going on. And I think it's incredible
0: that they can fly a helicopter on Mars using an SOC that's probably a little less powerful than what's in your phone
1: and old. I think it's, I think it's pretty old too. Um, but that's, I mean, that's another and the, thing. The rover
0: we're... uses an even older, less powerful one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to But then to we
0: show... went to the
2: moon on floppy disks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh gosh. I, I love that people are making satellites that run on cell phones. I mean, doing the research, they even have uh, cell phones taking pictures of the Earth. And so it really says that you could make your own rocket at home and send it up there and have it do awesome things.
0: Yeah. The hard part is the rocket.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's why I was saying, I don't know if it's fair to take all the credit, but we'll do it anyway. And then whatever, but, uh, that's cool. And I look forward to more of this kind of stuff in the future. Just knowing that, Linux is the thing that or open source, you know, is the thing. The free sharing of ideas is the concept that dominates in the space where the ideas really matter, where, you know, the metal hits the meat uh stuff like this, you know, it's it's one of the first technologies being put forth to further our understanding of Mars, you know, which is no doubt we're in the pioneering days of discovering the universe beyond where we live right now, you know, and I think that's important that we're a part of that. So. Yay. Yay. Well, that about wraps
0: up our Linux enters for this episode. Let's move on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something you'd like us to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at http colon slash mint that should be https colon slash, slash mintcast.org. Next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, October 16th, and we have a link to get Mintcast converted to your time zone. Our next live stream our next live stream will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time, October 22nd, and we have a link to convert that to your time zone. And our live stream information is found at mintcast.org slash live stream.
2: Wrapping up, Joe, where can we find you? Well, you can catch me on a couple other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show. That's T-L-L-T-S dot org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast. That's LinuxLugcast dot com. Um, you can send me an email directly jb at mincast dot org, or you can buy me a coffee on Kofi. Moss?
0: Well, you can find me every week on Full Circle Weekly News, every month on Distro Hoppers Digest. Um... My email is bardmoss at pm.me, and my other information can be found at itsmoss.com.
1: Bill? Well, you can email me at bill at mintcast.org. I'm bill underscore H on Discord, at WCHauser3 on Twitter, WCHauser3 on Facebook as well, and check out my other podcast, Three Fat Truckers. The website is 3ftpodcast.org. And Norbert,
0: who couldn't be with us today, can be reached Norbert at MintCast.org. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make MintCast possible. Norbert, Londoner, Tony H., and all others for our audio editing. And we still need help there if you'd like to volunteer. Josh Lowe and Bill Hauser for all his work on the website. All their work on the website. Hobstar for our logo, initrd for the animated Discord logo, Londoner for our time syncs, Bill for our Linode, which runs our website, archive.org for hosting our audio files, and the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Thanks Clem. 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 This has been another episode of the MintCast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both MintCast and Linux Mint on Twitter at MintCast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco podcast themes.com for our theme music and thanks for listening to this episode of the